With its remarkable diversity, compact size, and cheap airfare deals, Europe offers a world of exciting three-day weekends for American students during their study abroad programs. And semester abroad advisors are encouraging their students to do more and more of their learning outside the classroom. On Thursday afternoons, I would sit in my figure drawing class looking out over the Tiber River, the same Tiber River that Michelangelo would cross to go on to paint the Sistine Chapel. It's amazing to live among that history. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and that was my son, Andy. As a recent college grad, he discovered some of the wonders of Europe while studying abroad. He shares what he learned about planning a quick and cheap weekend getaway within Europe. One way to keep expenses down is to sleep at a youth hostel. We'll learn about the business of running a hostel and how hosteling makes budget travel possible almost anywhere. Maybe this will be a surprise, but the top hostel in the world for the last two or three years has been in Lisbon. Okay, dust off that old rucksack. It's Travel with Rick Steves. When you're a college student, it can be really tough to afford overseas travel. But there are plenty of options that can make it both affordable and the time of your life. Coming up today on Travel with Rick Steves, we get an update on how the hostel system of accommodations works from an Irish tour guide who also happens to run his own hostel. And my son Andy explains how Internet-based technology is making it easier than ever to plan a budget trip, even if it's just a weekend getaway on a study abroad program. These days, it's almost routine for American university students to spend a semester abroad. And built into that semester abroad time are three-day weekends. And the big challenge and the big exciting opportunity is how do you use those weekends smartly? We're joined by my son, Andy Steves, who uh, has spent a lot of time traveling around Europe since he's graduated from college, and he organizes student groups to enjoy their three-day weekends. Thank you, Andy, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, tell me a little bit how foreign study works. It seems almost trendy now. Do universities assume you will spend a a semester abroad, or or which universities send their kids overseas? When I showed up at uh, Notre Dame, for example, my freshman year, what I noticed is maybe even just 30% or so of the student body studied abroad. But by the time I graduated, it was well over 50%. And what I've noticed is universities are beginning to promote themselves as a study abroad university to differentiate themselves from uh, what else is out there. It's something that a high school senior doesn't simply doesn't think about while they're applying to schools, but by the time they're in their sophomore year, it is in the forefront of their minds. So this is something that university administrators are really uh, pushing. It's a priority. They want their kids to get an overseas experience. They're very mindful of it because they recognize that it really rounds out a university education. It's a huge opportunity for uh, personal growth. You speak from experience? I do. I do. I studied abroad in Rome at John Cabot University in the spring of 2008, and it absolutely rocked my world. It opened up my mind to any number of things. And in addition to that, I really felt like it, it gave me a great opportunity to learn a lot about myself, how I interact with foreign and unfamiliar environments, and how I can uh, grow into and respect those cultures that are new to me. So it's more than just classroom experience in a foreign capital. Absolutely. Something I've actually been saying for the last few years is more learning actually takes place outside of the classroom than it does inside. And that's the great thing about studying abroad. I mean, you can walk down the streets in Rome in your art history class with your professor, but pointing out historical palaces, revolutionary architecture, things that were just absolutely groundbreaking in their day. And to be among that day after day, uh, week after week and month after month, by the end of it, I just couldn't wait to get back. Wow. So, I mean, you can have a great teacher in a classroom in South Bend, or you can be walking the streets of, in your case, Rome. Right. I spent many a day in the warm, overheated art history class staring at a projection screen in South Bend, Indiana, while they were quality professors and quality uh, content, quality material, uh, it was very enriching to be able to just see the Sistine Chapel in person or the Mona Lisa 10 feet away from it. In addition to art history, being among uh, the center of the Christian faith led through the excavations the Scavi under uh, St. Peter's Basilica was amazing to see the least. I mean, regardless of your personal faith views, it was uh, exciting to be in such a historical place. Right there. Right Thinking there. Thinking 2,000 years of history. Mm-hmm. Right there. Yeah, they take you down under the St. Peter's Basilica through several levels of literally 1,800 years of history right there, altar after altar and floor after floor. So what is the, the general study schedule like when people are having their foreign study program? 
You have four days of class a week and generally three days every single weekend. Really? Across the board? This is the standard thing? It's the standard thing. It's unique to have school on Fridays. It sounds like they want you to do something on the weekend. Yeah. And they recognize that uh, a lot of learning happens outside of the classroom, like I said. So you'll get plugged into the culture in your abroad city. You'll travel within your abroad country as well as leave the country to experience other cultural capitals across Europe. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Andy Steves, my son, about student travel in Europe. Now, Andy, when you have your foreign study program, you've got your 3-day weekends built in. This feels like it's a new age for travel because you've got these discount airlines. How does that free students to enjoy their three-day weekends better? Well, you'll find that you have many, many opportunities to get across Europe affordably, fast, and in such a way that will get you... You you might leave class Thursday afternoon in Rome and show up in Dublin uh, in time for dinner. It's amazing. amazing. So you can just, for kicks, go to Dublin for St. Patrick's Day. It's it's a completely different mentality than you'd find here in the States. I mean, I don't don't leave class and say, oh, I'm going to go to L.A. this weekend. It's just (laughs) completely foreign. And it's it's also uh, unique to the American college students studying abroad in Europe because Europeans don't do it either. So it's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon that I think is valuable all the same. And students routinely do this. They don't need to be rich. They just know how to find a cheap ticket on the web. Absolutely. In fact, I had a friend who would wait until Tuesday before each weekend and book on Ryanair.com simply uh, given on one factor. Away. And he would uh, fly to all sorts of interesting out-of-left-field locations based on the fact that he could fly there for $2. And you don't need to be a student for this. Anybody who wants Anybody to put up it. with Ryanair, yeah. you could be essentially anywhere in Europe that Ryanair serves mm-hmm. or another mm-hmm. discount airline. Mm-hmm. Log on Tuesday. What What is on the push list for this Friday? And they've got certain seats exactly. available. So and he went to Bucharest, any any number of cities really? in Eastern Europe. For like Europe, 20 bucks round trip or something? Less than that. Um, What's the downside? Is there extra fees or something? You have to be careful about extra fees. If you forget to say that you will have a bag with you, they'll charge you up to 30 euros each way. And they'll do the same if you forget to print your boarding pass. Really? Issues like that that can sneak up behind you. But if you're mindful, if you're organized, you'll do just fine. Because when I was a student, it was your rail passes. Right. It's a very different type of tourism these days because study abroad students go from A to B to A, whereas a backpacker will go all the way around an entire continent uh, making a URL pass useful, whereas if you're studying abroad, you have to be much more deliberate about the use of a URL pass, given the fact that you're uh, returning after each weekend. Okay, so you're you are let's say your son or daughter is in Europe on a foreign study program. You've got every weekend three days, three and a half days if you take off right after class on Thursday. Yeah, if you know how to do it, right? I'm sure all the students know how to do this. You go online, you find the cheap discount ticket, and for under $50, you can go somewhere and come back. Yes. You get your transfers using public transit from the airport into mm-hmm. downtown. In fact, a lot of times those transfers will be more expensive than the flight itself. <laughs> That's been the case in London uh, <laughs> and, and other cities if, if you uh, take a taxi, absolutely. Oh, that must be kind of odd. And then mm. uh, tell us about the uh, sleeping. I mean, uh, in the old days, it was the International Youth Hostel Fellowship, for the formal yeah, youth hostel. I can't imagine traveling these days without the Internet. I just it's Something that you've always told me about is showing up at a city and and just finding a hostel bed. I, I don't think I've ever done that in, in my five years of backpacking. So t- tell us um, what 20-somethings do now to sure, find their accommodations. Sure. In, in fact, they call them flashpackers now. Um, okay. Flashpackers have their iPods with them. They'll look up a, a hostel on hostelworld.com and book it via their phone or their handheld device anywhere from two days all the way up to two or three weeks ahead of time. With more time ahead uh, for holidays, like Eastern Rome, for example, or St. Patrick's right. Day in Dublin. But you could, but you could land in Dublin or Prague or Barcelona, turn on your phone, see what's available right now. You could do that, yeah. But the great thing about sites like HostelWorld.com is you are able to get a full, well-rounded view of exactly what that hostel is like uh, based on user reviews, location, ratings, and so on. So much as you know I love guidebooks. A guidebook makes no sense. I don't use your book for hostels. Right. I wouldn't either. It sounds like hostelworld.com is the thing to do, huh? Yes, yes. There's other other sites out there. It's not limited to the formal hostels. Can any independent hostel be in this hostelworld.com? Right, right, right. I'm I'm unfamiliar with many hosteling organizations. I'm sure they're great, but it's not a factor when it comes to picking a hostel for me. And what would you spend per night on average? It's amazing. I just stayed in the world's top-rated hostel that's won it the last three years in a row in Lisbon just last week, and it cost me 20 euros for a night. The same hostel bed could cost twice or three times as much in a city like Paris or London, but those are the exceptions. You can find 
beds. Generally, for $30, you can get a bed. Yes, yes. You, you count on, on average, if you know how to find a good hostel, 30 bucks a night for your bed. Yes. And that includes free internet, a place free, to lock your bed. Free Wi-Fi, generally. Sheets. Yeah, right. sheets, yeah sheets and, sheets and, and generally uh, a towel. It's anybody's guess whether or not breakfast will be included. What are some other even cheaper options for sleeping? Hostels are generally the way to what go. What about... Uh, I heard there's a way to sleep on the hay up in Gimmelwald. What is the organization Couchsurfing? Couchsurfing, yeah. Yeah, that's something I haven't personally used, but I've heard good things about it. So you it. like the hostel system? I do, I do, yeah. Is the, addition, the social end of that is worth a lot, isn't it? I would actually pay more for many of the rich experiences that I get in a hostel rather than staying in a four-star hotel. For example, I did do that in Lisbon as well just uh, last week, and... Sure, the lobby had marble, the attendants were in suits, but it just wasn't the same. So what's better about a cheap youth hostel? Why Why do you like that better? In one hostel, I spent an evening out with a couple Danes, a handful of Australians, and a couple Canadians. And it's people. You, you, you mean- put it together and you exchange ideas and go out and experience an environment that's completely foreign to all of you. And to me, that's a, it's a great learning experience, and it really connects me to the world. Um, You've been backpacking now for the last five years, uh, mm-hmm. flashpacking. Flashpacking is that's the new, new term. term for me. Flashpacking. Yeah. How's, I'm how's, still learning myself. How have <laughs> things how have things changed for backpackers in the last five years? The mobile internet makes such a huge difference, for better and worse. People are more connected than they have ever have been, but at the same time, that also makes them a little bit disconnected from the moment. You know, it might be distracting for you to have a cell phone and getting an email every couple minutes from friends. Everybody's connected all the time. Everybody's connected all the time. You probably can't even imagine when I was your age what what a challenge (laughs) it was just to know where somebody was in I've heard about writing postcards. I don't don't really know (laughs) how that works anymore. Hanging out at American (laughs) Express where there's a little bulletin board and say, I'll be here next Tuesday, this sort of thing. (laughs) I'm talking with Andy Steves, my son, who's an expert backpacker in Europe. I'm learning a new word, flashpacking. Right now, any any university student may be wondering, where should I study abroad? Of course, you can study anywhere in the world, but mm-hmm. in Europe, and I know there's there's not a clear right answer, but what do you think would be the greatest places to have the greatest experience for your foreign semester abroad? That's a very good question, and it really depends on that person. Uh, my majors at Notre Dame were industrial design and Italian language and literature, so it only made sense that I could study art history in Rome as well as finish out my Italian requirements. So you went to Rome? So I went to Rome. Are, are there some places that just everybody goes, man, Barcelona or Prague's fantastic? They, they all have different reputations. Barcelona is a very social atmosphere, I would say. Right. And I've heard great things. But uh, it, it really depends on what the student needs and wants. Uh, for example, engineers often go to London because they simply don't have the time to take the, the requisite language courses. Okay. For so example, shapes I, where they can I had to take two years of Italian before I was even eligible to study abroad in Rome. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we're getting to know my son, Andy. We're learning that his generation travels light and on a tight budget with the help of the Internet and a few gadgets we could have only dreamed about 35 years ago. Thanks for coming along. It's Travel with Rick and Andy Steves. I'm Rick Steves, and I'm celebrating Father's Day with you and my son, Andy. He joins us right now on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us what he's learned about getting around Europe as a college student. Andy started a website and a blog with student travel tips and guided tours for Europe. It's wsaeurope.com. 
The WSA stands for Weekend Student Adventures. Now, you're starting a, a little tour company where you organize students for their three-day weekends to get the most out of their time, and they just hop on one of these discount airlines and meet you. Mm-hmm. And in the last semester, you've actually led tours through Prague, Rome, Paris, and London. Tell us just what are the highlights for students? I mean, everybody knows what the highlights would be like for the general travelers, but what's uniquely fun about these cities? We'll just go through them. Prague. Mm-hmm. Prague. Well, I've been fascinated by relating to students that it was students just their age, 20-year-olds, are the ones that introduced freedom to the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia at the time, the ones who overthrew the Russian regime in Prague just 20 years ago, just you know, a generation in the, in the ago. early 90s, people uh, half your, generation ago. People your students' age. Mm-hmm. Wow. They made but history. They, they did, yeah. When we're concerned about getting the new iPod, right. they're the ones th- thrown over the, That's beautiful. the Russian regime. How about... Rome. Rome. I enjoyed taking them to a a backdoor pizzeria, the one I found for your book just a couple of years ago. Took them downstairs and past the wood oven stove where they could see their pizzas being made, actually being tossed right there. Probably a great pizzeria experience yeah. for anybody oh, that grew up on pizza in the and, and the And the chocolate calzone was uh, to die for afterwards. It was just chocolate amazing. calzone. Yeah. Paris. Paris. Uh, that, that was an interesting experience because it was exclusively females that signed up for that particular group. And to get all 30 of them on a bike tour at sunset in Paris was uh, an experience, to say the least. It was amazing to catch the first light up on the Eiffel Tower and cap off the evening with a boat cruise on the Seine. Nice. You offered a tour of Paris and 30 girls signed up and no guys. Yes. yes. It's, a, it's tough it, work. It's an interesting challenge. <laughs> Why do girls sign up for these tours more than boys? <laughs> That's I, I only have my own theories, but I feel like um, girls are think farther in advance. They're more organized, and they feel more comfortable traveling in a group. Who can blame them when they're going to a foreign culture, a foreign country where they don't speak the language? Whereas guys might think it's a little more safe and uh, responsible to travel on their own? Not necessarily, but who wants to follow another guy around when you're, when you're a young uh, 20-year-old guy? Like, There's nothing wrong with going around, bumming around, and kind of doing what you will with it. That makes sense. What was the highlight for you and your group in London? In London, well, that was, uh, the whole experience was a highlight for me because it was my first ever independent tour for Weekend Student Adventures. The fact that I made sure everybody knew that the traffic went on the left side to start off is something I would consider a success. So nobody got run over? Nobody got run over. Uh, We enjoyed a ride on the double-decker bus caught Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park and uh, the changing of the guard right in front of Buckingham Palace. Speaker's Corner, did kids like that? Yeah, they did. They did because it's it was amazing for them to see people expressing their opinion in a candid way to groups of captive audiences. Great look at I, grassroots I, democracy in action English. Exactly, now. exactly. I couldn't think of an equivalent here in the States. Andy, I remember what it was like when I was literally on my mom's passport. Her passport had my photo, my little me next to my mom yeah. on the passport. <laughs> I literally legally couldn't go anywhere without my mom. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. And uh, I was so happy the first time I went to your son's parents. You traveled with uh, me and your mom for 18 years in a row. Mm-hmm. Then when uh, the next trip, you went on your own without parents. How was that different? To me, it was, uh, it was a completely different continent. I was able to do what I wanted, when I wanted. And the thing that still amazes me is I ended up going to more museums independently than I did with you. <laughs> and that's just because I was able to do it when I wanted. You know, uh, who knows who knows why, but uh, it was another one of those learning experiences that really opened up. Uh, sure, I'd been to those places before, but it really opened up a new continent to me. And it sounds like your foreign study experience in Rome was literally you can throw this term around, but literally a life-changing experience. Definitely, definitely. And by the time I showed up in Rome, I had been to Europe 20, 21 times before, and I was sitting next to students who were cracking open brand-new passports. And so before I knew it, I was helping my friends make good decisions when it came to traveling while abroad, and I was more than happy to help them enhance their semester experience. Now, all over the United States, probably right now, parents are kind of struggling with the issue. You know, we want our kids to have the richest educational experience. There's pressure from the university to send them abroad. Is it worth the money? You spent a semester in Rome. What could you say to parents struggling with that issue? 
I would say it's uh, it's like we've we've said all along, a life changing experience. I mean, on Thursday afternoons, I would sit in my figure drawing class, looking out over the Tiber River, the same Tiber River that Michelangelo would cross to go in to paint the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling. And of course, I had a long way to go, but uh, it's it's amazing to live among that history. Andy Steves, I'm really proud of you. You're a great traveler, and good luck with your tour program. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. One of the ways younger travelers save money is by sleeping in hostels. It often includes bunk beds in a dormitory-style setting, but costs a lot less than sleeping at a hotel or a bed and breakfast. In just a moment, we'll get the inside scoop on what it's like to operate a hostel from Stephen McPhillamy. He's been running one for the past few years in his hometown in Northern Ireland. Right now, let's catch up on some of the haiku our listeners have sent us to provide a snapshot from their travels. There's a link for you to send us your own travel haiku at the radio section of ricksteves.com. Abby Bartine from Washington, D.C. felt right at home in Ireland. Not a stranger here. In your pubs, I joined the crack. Ireland, the life. Ellen Kendrick from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, had this experience in a river town in Russia. A lady gives me bright flowers. These and her smile light up the gray day. And Dick Purdy from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, stayed in Venice in 2005. He writes that he can still hear the voice of the man who ran the bed and breakfast where he stayed. The B&B host proudly explains his snapshot. Me and Rick Steve. There's a community all over the world, traveling without spending a lot of money, getting to know each other, taking advantage of hostels. Used to be youth hostels, but now it's just hostels. And I'm joined by Stephen McPhillamy, who actually runs a youth hostel in Northern Ireland. We're going to talk about starting up a hostel, maybe making it your own business. What's it like to run a hostel? And, and what's the, the scene for hosteling around the world today? Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rick. Stephen, you run a hostel in Derry in North Ireland. Yeah, I opened my hostel in 2003. I was walking through the city centre. One day saw a semi-derelict building on a street called Asylum Road, which was very aptly named. Asylum, Asylum Road, Road in Londonderry. Yeah, right in Whoa. the middle. Just where the old lunatic asylum used to be, and it was for sale. Uh, I called up, asked what the price was. It was £160,000. So you spent about a quarter of a million dollars to buy this building. Yeah, and it's a substantial size of a building. It's four uh, floors, eight fairly big bedrooms. And uh, I'm able to put either four beds or six beds. You know, as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, it'll take a lick of paint. There was nothing major structurally we had to fix up. I couldn't have afforded it on my own, so I had to ask a friend to come in with me. Uh, we got a loan from the bank, and seven years later, 100,000 people of all nationalities have slept with us. 100,000 people have slept in your youth hostel yeah. in Derry. We had our 100,000th guest in 2010. 100,000. Now, Derry is a pretty rough-and-tumble town in the north of Ireland. Yeah. I mean, people go to Belfast, and that's considered quite an excursion for a lot of people going to Ireland. Not a lot of tourists go to Derry compared to Galway. Oh, absolutely not. And in terms of European backpacking, we're really on the fringes of the empire. It's like something in the old Roman days. So what kind of people are, are these 100,000 people who have stayed in your youth hostel? Well, uh, our biggest market are Americans and French. We get a lot of young Americans coming through. We get a lot of French. I speak French myself, so in my promotion and marketing, I do a lot of stuff in French, so they're, they're comfortable coming to okay. stay with me because they yeah. know that they'll have their language spoken there. Our second biggest market is Spanish. Ironically, of the thousands of young Spanish who come to stay with us every year, none of them really identify as Spanish. They'll say they're Basques or Catalans. Most of them are young, dreadlocked political radicals. I've noticed this. When I'm in Ulster, Northern Ireland, 
you meet Spaniards, but they're not just Spaniards. They're Basques and Catalans. Yeah. Why is that? Oh, well, many of them are political radicals and separatists. So they're they're basically in solidarity with, with the Catholic downtrodden well, in North Ireland? Aye, and as a result of that, my hostel's filled with them every year. So Quite it's, a political kind of travel. Yeah, and uh, when they come to stay, they're staying for longer than your average backpacker. They're not really there to party. They're there to get to know locals or do a bit of political research or take part in a protest or go and see really? political news. So they're news. coming from Basque Country and from Catalonia in Spain, for instance, to see how Catholics organize and get dignity and respect in a Protestant-dominated world of North Ireland. Yeah, and I think these well, these young Basques and Catalans, when they come, the religious bit wouldn't be all that important to them. They're more interested in the nationalist or the Republican community in Northern Ireland, not so much the, the religious factor. But the whole point is... I don't think a backpacker hostel in Holland or a backpacker hostel in Poland is going to get thousands of young Basques and Catalans. So it's to our benefit. Yeah. Um, our next big market then would be fairly wild and crazy young Australians from about 19 to 40 years of age. They come in on a tour bus every weekend and also midweek on a Tuesday night. So about half my market is this tour company that comes in every week and half are their what we call walk-ins you know, backpackers who'll come right. in and you can make more money from them because the walk-in who comes in with a guidebook in his or her hand right. will stay for more than one night, okay. sometimes up to two or three. So you got these busloads of wild and crazy Australian backpacker partiers. They just take a cheap bus tour and they stay one night in Derry. One night and uh, the tour company will pay us less than what somebody walking in would pay. Sure, so yeah. yeah, but it gets you a lot of business. On but, oh, yeah, we, we need to have Now, you've had 100,000 people in your hostel. Have you had problems with... Uh, Drinking, smoking, drugs, hooligans, what are your concerns that way? Uh, well, uh, smoking's against the law. We don't, and we wouldn't permit it anyway in the hostel. Right. Uh, drinking, we, we encourage them to drink sensibly. It's not right. a, it's not so a, you can serve alcohol, alcohol in your, we don't serve it, but they bring it themselves. Okay, and that's we're, no we're, problem. it's no problem. Is there, there a drug issue with youth hosteling and so on? I, I've never encountered it. I, I don't want to sound naive. Maybe right. could be accused of that, but I've never seen a major drug problem. Some people might smoke a little bit of pot here and there, but right. it's not a major. It's not an issue. issue. And then is, uh, if there is a soccer game, do you get inundated with soccer hooligans? Uh, no, we don't have any soccer hooligans coming to stay. Here's a controversial subject in the world of backpacking, and that is generally in a in a country, hostels will be reluctant to take guests from that country. I know a hostel owner in America, and his strict rule is no Americans. A Canadian hostel friend of mine, strictly no Canadians. In Australia last year, there was a campaign. It was called, Is It Because I Is Australian? Because Australians were being banned from the hostels. Now, why and, is that? Well, I have to be honest. 50% maybe of the Irish guests who come to stay with me cause problems. The local people that cause problems in their country's hostels. Yeah, well, sometimes hostel owners are asking, well, if you're in Canada and you're in Vancouver and a Canadian turns up, you're kind of asking, why is this Canadian coming to stay in the hostel? Well, he's not got his own place so he's to not stay. A, yeah, he's not a tourist, probably. Well, yeah, or maybe he's been kicked out of the house by his wife or had a domestic dispute with a girlfriend. Or there are, There's all sorts of issues. But I had last week a group of 20 booked into my hostel and told us they were a football team, an Irish team. They did about 500 pounds worth of damage. Letting off fire, fire extinguishers is the big one in hostels. For some reason, there's a lot of guests who, when they have too much to drink, like to let off in a fire extinguisher. No. It's against the law, and there's a 500-pound fine but they still do it. And it messes up the place. Oh, it's <laughs> just a disaster. I'm Rick Steves. We're talking about running a youth hostel with Stephen McPhillamy, who runs a hostel in Derry, which is... Um, a major town in the north of Ireland. Steve and I hostelled a lot when I was um, a student traveler, and back then it was just the International Youth Hostel Association. Now, that association is called the International Hosteling. They've taken the word youth out of it. No more limit to just people under 26. Right. Yeah. What's the general status right now of hosteling? Does the International uh, Hosteling Association dominate still? No, on the contrary. There's an estimated 25,000 hostels in 180 countries, and Hostling International are the parent body of about 4,000 of those. So there's a lot of independent hostels. A lot of people don't want to have the regulations and the perceived stuffiness of hostling international. It was started by a German school teacher back in 1909 called Richard Sherman. And um, they have really good product. You know, I think if my daughter was backpacking through Europe, I'd probably want her to stay in a youth hostel association or hostling Why international. It's just a safe bet. They have curfews often. and So it's more regulated. Very regulated. Generally I don't stable. think you'd always be able to have a drink 
Uh, you'd know there's a curfew. You'd know there's a warden on the desk. Um, yeah. So it's guaranteed. But I don't think, personally, I wouldn't like to stay in one because it wouldn't be as much fun. So if you're, trying to, meet, my if you're trying to meet people and have a lot of fun, you, you can have a little more crazy time in an informal hostel. I've talked to people who run hostels that just got tired of sending the $1 a bed fee to the hostel association. Yeah. Um, if you're an independent hostel, you're going to have less fees, less regulations. You have more flexibility, and it's your own. You're running your own show then. Now, in the old days, it was just one guidebook that had all of the hostels listed in it. Now, that's just twenty percent of the hostels. How do kids and backpackers find out what the hostel options are? How do they book hostels? What's the source of information? Okay, overwhelmingly, backpackers are finding their beds either in guidebooks, such as your own book, or Lonely Planet. Let's go. But these days, the internet has really taken over, and one big website dominates. It's called HostelWorld.com. It was started about 10 years ago by three Irish people, who I know personally. They set up this site. One was a techie guy, a bit of a computer whiz. Uh, the other guy, owned Tom Kennedy, owned a hostel in the middle of Dublin, uh-huh. and they had a girl called Naive Nevere who was working with them, and she was a bit of a marketing expert. Anyway, to cut a long story short, Hostel World was sold last year for $250 million dollars to a private equity investment firm. Two, a quarter of a billion dollars for the website that helps people book youth hostels. Yeah. Now, this is a huge business. Uh, Hostel World is very powerful. They take 10% of every booking. Some people in the world of backpacking were upset that Hostel World sold out because once it was purchased, North Korea, Iran, and Cuba disappeared off the drop-down box of countries because it was an American private equity firm who has bought it. So because of the trade embargo, wow. those three Oh, because they couldn't have them because of the embargo. Yeah, now not many of us would have been going to maybe Iran or no, North Korea anyway, but Cuba would be a big spot for Irish or Aussie or Kiwi or sure. French backpackers. So now we don't have the option of booking on Hostel World anymore. But now you run your hostel in Ireland, North Ireland, and you pay 10% of everything that books through Hostel World. And is that your major booking uh, service on the web? Yeah, Hostel World. And you're happy to pay the 10%? I have no choice but to pay the 10%. And right. the problem is if Hostel World turn around next week and think, well, let's put it up to 20%, I have no choice. You have no choice. You know, I shouldn't be telling them this. Yeah. But, you know. And there's another website called hostelbookers.com. And us hostel owners all over the world, all 25,000 of us, are fantastically happy that Hostel Bookers exist because they can counterbalance Hostel World. Oh, yeah. Now, now fear, you go to conventions. They actually have conventions where all the guys who run hostels get together. There's two types of award ceremony globally. There's the Golden Backpacks in Sydney every year in Sydney Harbour, but they sort of shade in significance to the Hoskers, which are every year, usually in Dublin, but now they've started to branch out this Huskers. year. They're in London. It's the Oscars the of the hostel industry. You're talking champagne, jugglers, uh, circus performers, red carpet. Up next, we'll look at running a hostel as a business and the options hostels provide for cheap sleeps for young travelers and not-so-young travelers as well. You're listening to Travel with Rick Steves. We're looking at how the world of youth hostels has been changing in recent years right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Our guest, Stephen McPhillamy, is a tour guide based in Northern Ireland, and he's turned an abandoned building into a hostel in Derry, his hometown. It offers travelers from around the world cheap beds, a kitchen and a shower, and plenty of new friends. So when I was a kid, the Pink Palace down in uh, Corfu, Corfu yeah. was the big one. There was a handful of hostels like this. What are the big dominant destination hostels in Europe right now? Well... Maybe this will be a surprise, but the top hostel in the world for the last two or three years has been in Lisbon. And out of the top ten hostels in the world, I think three of them are now in Lisbon in Portugal. Huh. Three or four of the top ten hostels are in Lisbon. Have you seen them? Yeah, I went down there recently to have a a look, maybe a little bit of industrial espionage, espionage. bit of research, because uh, I thought this can't be right. Of the 25,000 hostels in the world... Three of them are in one street in one city, or one city block. In and it's one... an Irish uh, organization that gave the awards. Yeah, and, and I thought, well, I just wanted to go down and see, because it's based on reviews from customers. Right. And these days, especially because of TripAdvisor, these young people may only be paying $10 a night for a bed. But by God, if that bed's not perfect, they will destroy you. They're much more tech-savvy than somebody who's paying $200 for their hotel bed. Right. So 
they'll go on TripAdvisor, they'll go on Hostel World, and they'll get you if you have one small problem at all. So I wanted to go down and see why these hostels in Lisbon were so good, and to be quite honest, after a week of research there, I stayed in the mall, and they are absolutely fantastic. How could a Portuguese, a Lisbon hostel be better than all the others? What was it that was so fantastic? Well, the number one in the world, it just, it was just, there was so much fun there. Here's the key to it, though. They were small hostels. They had about 30 or 40 beds. And the staff is part of the fun? Yeah, the staff would take us out at night on little pub crawls. They'd make Portuguese sausage and cod, and they'd give you free internet and a couple of beers and, you know, just small little things. That, and they're still profitable. Oh, I would imagine. They were charging us 15 euros per night, 30 people in a small building that probably doesn't cost very much for them to rent right. in the middle of Lisbon. There was another one that was number two in the world, and it was absolutely in a palace. It was a bit like walking into an Ikea showroom. It was just perfect in terms of its interior design. There was an article on the wall from the Sunday Times, the UK newspaper, and it was a photograph of their drawing room. And then it said, the headline simply said, yes, this really is a youth hostel. There are some places you go and you find, it's part of the standards of a country, perhaps, that you go to the hostel and you realize, hey, there's no compromise in comfort in staying here. This is elegant. Scandinavia is that way, I think. You go to the hostels in Sweden and you yeah. have to take off your shoes to go in. Yeah, Sweden is fantastic. And in the middle of Stockholm now, there is a beautiful big sailing ship there. That belongs to the Hostling the, the International. And that's booked up maybe years in it's advance. A beautiful place. Absolutely spectacular. And they have a prison in Stockholm that's turned into a hostel. That's right, yeah. Long home prison. I have never been to it, but I've heard... I've, it's like it's a on hotel, but you got cells instead of rooms. It's next on my Isn't list. Isn't there one that's an airplane or something in Stockholm? Yeah, they have a jumbo hostel. It's a 747 converted into a hostel sitting up at Stockholm Airport. And the first class area is the honeymoon suite for backpackers. So I'm, wow. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking hostels all over the world, talking with a man who runs a hostel in Ireland, Stephen McPhillamy. Hey, Stephen, when you think about youth hostling, generally, what's the cost now for a bed? Uh, generally, across Europe, you're probably looking at 15 euros. So $20 a bed. A bed. What, four to eight beds in a room, generally? Yeah, I think that's a safe bed, four, eight beds. The, the, the days of 16 bed, 20 bed dorms are gone. People oh, aren't, aren't interested anymore. So now you've got private, generally a toilet and a shower for the little room. Yeah, and you'll get free internet as well. Free internet. In that. Does that include sheets? That includes, always will include linen. In my the old days, you'd bring sheets and save some money. You don't do that anymore. Yeah, these days, all you do is you turn up with your backpack. You get your bed, you get your linen, you'll usually get a towel thrown in for free. Oh, yeah. You'll get your breakfast, which is a big saving for a lot of young that's travelers. A huge deal. Yeah. And then, uh, do you get a locker? Uh, that's nearly always you pay there. You pay a deposit and, to get a lock. And yeah, and people are always looking for that. That's how you're rated on, on Hostel World. I, in websites. my guidebook, I always, if it doesn't have a locker, my people won't be comfortable in it because, you know, nobody's going to mug you, but if you leave your valuables laying around without a locker, it's dangerous. Yeah. Is the term warden still used uh, as a person who runs the place? Uh, no. It's sort it, of an old school yeah, thing. In England, yeah, they still yeah. had wardens until a couple of years that's ago. That's right, yeah, starting to be and phased they have, And duties was a tradition in the old days. You had to clean up and so on. The guests these days wouldn't be too interested in doing any duties. So these, these kids these days are pretty soft. Yeah, no, no more duties. Well, that's, that's one thing that I lament about backpacking these days is that a lot of backpackers, the only thing backpacking about them is the actual backpack on their back. You know, they're young professionals. They're well able to afford a three-star hotel if they want to. Yeah. I've noticed this. Kids and young people who can afford a hotel, they'd prefer a hostel. Yeah. Because of the camaraderie. That's that's exactly it. You're connected in a hostel. You know there's going to be action tonight. When I went to Lisbon to check out the top hostels in the world, I committed a cardinal sin on the first night. I decided to stay in a four-star hotel close to the airport. I sat at the bar. Nobody talked to me. I went to the dining room. Nobody talked to me. I sat in the lobby. Nobody talked to me. Nobody talked to me. In a hostel, within five minutes of getting in, the staff will be inviting you out for a drink or a pub crawl that night. There's five or six other nationalities in the kitchen cooking. When humans cook together, they talk. And then you go into the dining room, sit down. Humans will always talk to each other in that kind of environment. Backpackers will always look out for the person who is on their own and then bring them into the, invite them into their group. It's a beautiful thing. And there's generally a member's kitchen where you can buy some groceries and cook or get together and have a communal meal. Yeah. A lot of backpackers want to cook for themselves at night, not just because it's saving money, but they just love to cook and they love that idea of going out to a local supermarket, buying some local produce, and, and coming back in and preparing it in the, in the kitchen. Okay, now when we're in our 20s, hosteling's sort of a slam dunk. When you get older, if you're young at heart, are you welcome in a hostel? Yeah, absolutely. In my hostel, there's lots of people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, sometimes what we'll have is maybe a couple of people in their 20s are traveling, and they'll have their parents with them, and it'll take a bit of arm twisting, but they'll say to their parents, look, tonight we're going to stay in a hostel. Yeah. Uh, we want to be able to meet other people. You're going to enjoy it. And as long as you're young at heart, absolutely no problem. I suppose every hostel has a personality. So some hostels would be a little more brutal for old people and other hostels would be more 
just like a cozy chalet in the mountains where you've got every generation there. That's right. And that's one of the beauties of the web these days is everything is there and it can be researched. Yeah. And some of these websites like TripAdvisor, I, I'm very skeptical about many of them because... Because some you got all the fake information. Yeah, some of the reviews in. are just people with personality issues maybe. And But you can read between the lines and get a good perception of what the hostel's like. Very quickly, is there still a curfew in the hostels? Most hostels don't have a curfew. A lot of hostels but these days... But that can be a bad thing because you want to sleep and it's 2 o'clock and people are still making noise. In your hostel, how do you handle that? Yeah, well, what we do in our hostel is we have staff who live on the premises... So if anyone's making noise after 11 p.m., so there's a respect for that. Yeah, but you can come and go late if you like. We just give our guests the key. Is there a midday lockout? I remember in the old days, you you weren't paying to have access to the room all day long. They'd kick you out at 10 o'clock. You could get back in at five, and that was the time when the warden could go somewhere and they could clean the place. Yeah, that bewilders me. Some hostels in Europe still have that midday lockout, lockout and I just can't get my mind around that. Why you'd ask people to leave? More likely, a formal international hostel association hostel would have that probably. Yeah, more than likely. And again, as you say, that's a lot of smaller hostels use it as a chance to not have to pay staff during the day right. and get cleaned up, but I don't think it's... Are the fair. rooms generally uh, mixed or boys here and girls there? Nearly always mixed, and that can be a wee bit of an issue for now, certain nationalities. Some girls would rather have uh, the privacy and so on. Don't they uh, have an option sometimes in hostels to have yeah. a room just for girls? In my hostel, I have a four-bed dorm that's exclusively, it's a female dorm with a bathroom in it, and I leave that, even if only one person booked it that night, I just think it's a good service. I can appreciate that there are female travelers who are more comfortable so amongst generally their own if, sex. if I'm going to go hostling anywhere in the world in, in a, just a typical informal hostel, chances are I'll be in six beds, a few guys and a few girls. Nine times out of ten, I think you're going to have to be prepared to be mixed. Bed bugs, hygiene issues, anybody ever got upset with you for uh, picking up some fungus on their feet? Well, the bed bugs is a constant problem. Uh, see, some people think the bed bugs are little dust mites or not visible to the naked eye. I've seen these little brutes and they're terrible. I have had them in the past. The problem with bed bugs is because there's so much traffic coming through uh, hostels. Are they brought in by... They're brought in on the backpacks. They're coming from hostel to hostel to hostel. Right. It's like at school if you have the... Ticks in your ticks head. Ticks in your head. Often they go to the cleanest head and <laughs> sometimes the cleanest hostels get the bed bugs. But once you get them, getting rid of them is a nightmare. You know, you're, you're getting people in with white suits and chemical sprays. A good friend of mine up in Canada, Craig Kelly, he had a hostel and he had such a big bed bug problem, he had to demolish the entire building no. and start from scratch. They were living inside the electrical sockets. They were underneath the mattresses. They were underneath the So what is that? what does a traveler do uh, to protect himself from this? There's many things a traveler can do to protect themselves if they sense there might be bed bugs. One is wear socks, gloves, pajamas, you know, cover up in bed because these little brutes love naked flesh. I'm no expert on it, I'm no scientific expert on it, but they can sense the human sweat or skin right. at night. I think there are only certain blood types are susceptible to Have you noticed that bugs. some people get it more than others? Yeah, I've noticed like once I was in a bed in a hostel, I'll not name the country, but in a hostel in Europe, which the bed was infested with bed bugs. The bed was? Yeah. I got up in the morning, my skin looked like it had golf balls under it from my neck the whole way to my feet. And my girlfriend, who was in bed with me, was completely untouched, unscathed. It's just not fair. Yeah. So I think what happens is certain blood types react. So it's a major problem now all over the world, especially because in hostels, the bedrooms are tighter and smaller. Beds are close to each other. Yeah. Backpacks are often thrown up against the bed or against the wall. You're going to have six people so in a room. they can come in from a backpack. If a hosteler has bed bugs and he's traveling around, he literally brings them from hostel to hostel. Yeah, well, let's say a backpacker goes to a hotel. He puts his backpack on the floor away yes. from the bed and he sleeps and the bugs will escape onto the hotel. That's fine. But if the backpacker goes into a hostel room with five other backpacks yeah. there, these little critters are going to go into five other backpacks and then go off to five other hostels. So it's it's a huge problem in hostels much more than hotels. you talk about this at the conventions? All the conventions we go to, there are workshops on bed bugs because this costs every hostel probably 15, 20 grand a year. Whoa. Um, now, how did you get well, rid of well, all if, your... If you get them. How did you get rid of all the, the golf ball-sized bed bug welts on your body? I just took antihistamines, but... It went away. It doesn't stay with you. It's not a persistent problem. It's just a nuisance for a week or Yeah, so. they go away after four days of... But if you're trying to run a youth hostel, that's probably a, a constant problem. People yeah. bringing in bed bugs from other hostels. Stephen McPhillamy, what a lovely note to finish our discussion on hostels on. In spite of all the bed bugs, you think it's worthwhile? Some people like yoga, some people like gardening. For me, my labor of love is my hostel. What's the name of the hostel? Uh, my hostel is called Paddy's Palace in Historic Dairy. Paddy's Palace in Historic Dairy in the north of Ireland. Thanks a lot and good luck with your bed bugs. Thanks, Rick. Oh, there ain't no bugs on my
Speaking of hostels, we dug up an old interview back when our radio program was just a young thing itself, and we checked in on a typical summer's day to see how things were going at the Mountain Hostel. It's run by Petra Bruner in the little town of Gimmelwald, accessible by gondola in my favorite corner of the Swiss Alps. Hear for yourself how a lot of the atmosphere still came through loud and clear over the long-distance phone line. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. And right now we're traveling to my favorite corner of the Swiss Alps, the village of Gimmelwald. And I've got on the line the woman who runs the youth hostel in Gimmelwald. And we can actually hear some of the uh, fun that's going on there because it's filled with young travelers enjoying the Alps. Petra Bruner, how are you doing? I'm doing really fine. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing good. What's going on at the youth hostel today? We have a lot of happy travelers right now experience the mountains. Some are playing outside the guitar and others are sitting in a hot tub enjoying the view. My first night in Gimmelwald, and it's my favorite part of the Alps, it was in your youth hostel back when there were goats sleeping in the basement. It cost about two francs a night to sleep there. What does it cost now to stay in the youth hostel there? It is 20 francs per night. 20 francs per night. So that's about $14, $15 American for a bed. That's correct. And then the uh, travelers have access to the kitchen where they can cook for the price of groceries. Yes, they can. And how many how many beds in a room normally, Petra? We have 14 beds in a room. All right. And we have a co-ed dorm for couples and boys' room and a girls' room. So it's uh, a little community there, high in the Alps. Yes. And those three nice people come here as singles or... They don't even know each other, but they mostly make friends. And We actually just have um, a couple getting married in a few days here. And they met here, and they're having their wedding up here. They fly their priest in and their family. They arrive in a few days. And they're having a ceremony outside in the woods. Oh. And they're going to have lunch here. Oh, and where, where and are they? they stay at the honeymoon suite. It's actually very nice. And, and where? Well, are... it's very simple. It's just called the honeymoon suite. I know. Well, it's, it's kind of cute. I think it's a honeymoon suite because it's just one double mattress. That's correct. <laughs> Instead of six bunks or something like that. Where Where are the bride and groom from? They're from California. From California, and they're they're flying in the whole wedding party to the youth hostel. Yes, there are a little wedding. There are twelve people. We actually just have a birthday in here. I can hear. They're singing happy birthday. <laughs> So we've got travelers from all over the world coming together for $15 a night, high in the Alps, in this little village where everybody's got the same last name. They're having a birthday party. You know, there's some graffiti on the wall in the hostel, or at least there was when I traveled there. It said, if heaven ain't what it's cracked up to be, send me back to Gimmelwald. I love that notion. Hey, Petra, uh, you told me a story once you grew up just across the street from the youth hostel in Interlochen, and you had sort of a dream about running a youth hostel. Can you share that with us? Yes, it's just I grew up in Bernigan which is outside of Interlaken, right on the lake. And there was a youth hostel just opposite our house. And it was just really nice to meet all the people. I just always thought it would be nice to, if I couldn't travel, to meet the people who are traveling. And what's nice about the traveling people or the backpackers, they always appreciate everything. They're very, very friendly people, and they're not demanding. It's like they're always happy. If you think that a lot of 60-year-olds never left... Switzerland or not even left Interlaken. Right. Like my father-in-law has never been abroad. They they just know their own culture. And it's a kind of a shock for them to having people here. But right now, I think after those 10 years as running the place, I think it, it's good to the village as well. Also, for let's say for the young people here, they come and hang out at the place and it's really, really good. So your father-in-law was kind of the old guard that wasn't that enthusiastic about all these modern ways coming into the village. Uh, and he wasn't that enthusiastic about his uh, son supporting his wife in a business other than farming, I understand. Has, has your correct. father-in-law changed his attitude a little bit over the years then? He did now, yes. So he comes I'm to the hostel. I'm happy to say that, actually. That was sad when you told me that your father-in-law never visited the hostel after all the work you and your husband did. That's correct. That's co- he actually just came in a few days ago the first time to have a pizza. I was very happy about that. Oh, that's wonderful. It took him a few years, but <laughs> he finally came. So now tell us in Gimmelwald, uh, it's a springboard. What are all these kids doing? How, what's the advice you can give to young travelers or people who really want to connect with the nature in Switzerland? What's some good advice? Here in Gimmelwald, you just have to love nature. I mean, there's no nightclub or no partying. It's just nature. You have to love the mountains, the waterfalls, just being outside. When you come back at the hostel, of course, there's community people talking together or eating together. 
it's just very easygoing. Petra, how many people are in the youth hostel, for instance, right now, tonight? Uh, tonight we have 45 guests staying. Are you full? So Yes, we are pretty full. Is it important for people to call in advance to book a room? Uh, they just call me two days ahead or send me an email. And if they send an email, I can book them right in. It's not really a problem to get in. Well, how would you uh, characterize your clientele? Where are your travelers coming from? Uh, most of our travelers are coming from the west coast of America or Canada. And then in the months of September, October, we have a lot of Australians traveling. And what's really interesting, we also have older people staying, like we just had a couple. The lady was 76 and the, her husband was 80 years old. And they were traveling three weeks through Europe, and they stayed one way in Gimmelwald. And they had a really, really good time, like sharing the atmosphere of young people, and it was very sweet. So you run the youth hostel, and if a couple of older travelers come in, you don't think, why aren't you in a normal hotel? You welcome them. Oh, yes, of course, as long as they are happy here. Everybody's welcome. Tell us, I hear guitars. Just look around for us, because we're sitting here in America uh, listening to our radio, and you're high in the Swiss Alps in a village where you've got no traffic, uh, just like a time warp experience, surrounded by the glorious mountains. Okay, right now we have wonderful weather. We actually just have an alpen glow in the mountains. What is an alpen glow? An open glow is when the mountains turn all red because of the sun going down. Okay. Petra, is there a website so people can learn more about your youth hostel? Yes, mountainhostel.com. I'm talking with Petra, who runs the Gimmelwald Youth Hostel high in the Swiss Alps. Hey, Petra, I'll let you get back to your crowd of happy travelers there, but thank you for helping so many people enjoy the Swiss Alps on uh, quite a, a small budget, and you've got the Alps in your laps there, it sounds like. Okay. Okay, ciao. Ciao, Rick. Bye. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Thanks for technical help to Andrew Wakeling and Robin Cronin. Keith Stickelmeyer read today's travel haiku, and our theme music is by Jerry Frank. And join us again next week for more Travel with Rick Steves. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your European travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next European adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.